Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the author series on the Success Insight podcast. Our guest today is Carl Bucciolato. Carl is the author of To Every Page a Turning, One Life's Journey. This is a fictitious story that leans heavily on Carl's personal experiences, which is a product of 50 years of journaling and taking notes. Carl, welcome to the author series on the Success Insight podcast. Thank you, Howard. Very happy to be here with you. Fantastic. Well, first of all, you know, good morning. We're at the end of the summer, and I am reminded that when I grew up, and you and I are not that far away from age, you, you kind of said, hey, you're just a young kid, but and I appreciate that. <laughs> I will surprise you. All right. <laughs> I'm going to be 80 in my next birthday. You're going to be 80? Yes. Oh, my God. You could be my son. I could be your son. <laughs> I guess I could be. Well, I tell you, you're looking really good for 80. I, I should look as good when I'm 80. Well, you do. Yeah. And you know what amazes me? So we're at the tail end of August as we record this podcast. And this time of the year always reminded me, Carl, of I got to go to school. And it's, oh my God, the summer's over. I didn't get everything done that I wanted to get done. You know, I thought I was going to learn how to play a sport or get better at a sport, right, et cetera. And then we since school started and another year goes by. And as I was learning more about you and your book, and I, I love the fact that this book, though it's the work of fiction, you know, kind of reflects a lot on your life. And, you know, and when you get to be 80, that you're going to be, you've gone through a few rodeos in your life, so to speak. Absolutely. And so before we get into the book, which is a, this award-winning book, by the way, to every page, a turning, one life's journey. Carl, could you share a little bit about your background? Because this is a pretty interesting background, and there's yeah. a lot to explore here. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll keep it at a 30,000-foot view, but okay. let me so hear it. We'll, I'll give you a capsule. Okay. I, I was born in Brooklyn, born 1942 during the war. So I am officially a war baby rather than the baby boomer, which okay. follows. And I was uh, a, a child of two first-generation Americans. My parents' their family came from Italy, from uh, Sicily, and we were they were hardworking labor people, never finished high school, struggled along, just barely made ends meet. And at the end of the Depression, people who uh, had some education had an opportunity to get a little step ahead, but the people I came from didn't have those advantages. So I grew up in the streets of Brooklyn, very modestly, and uh, to complicate issues more, my father was an active alcoholic, mm. which gave me even more issues to deal with. Being the firstborn in the family, that left a lot of responsibilities for me. It also left me uh, uncounseled and unguided on the streets. So I got involved with a lot of people that I probably shouldn't have, but they were they were there, and it became part of a life thing, you know. And so, in order to to survive on the streets of Brooklyn in the 1950s, you had to be a pretty rough guy. You had to be able to take care of yourself. You should. You were never able to back down because if you got a reputation that you backed down, you were gone. That's it. You were through. Right. So I was a very angry young man. Uh, I did had aspirations when I went to school. I never failed a test in my life. Never. Never got less than a, an A in my life ever in anything. 
on top of that, I was dyslexic and I was an angry young kid and I wanted to be an artist and I would, I tried out for various art schools and they approved it. But my father disagreed. He said, you can't make a living doing those things. Guys like us, you know, we just, we just get by, you know? And if you get married and you have a kid, it's just another plate of macaroni. To me, that statement was so degrading because in those days you buy a pound of macaroni for 16 cents. Right. So another pound of equating a person to a pound of macaroni was terrible. So I got very, I was very angry and I became, uh, I learned how to box. I was a fairly good boxer. Uh, as a matter of fact, in uh, the second attempt that I tried, I won the regional light heavyweight championship for the Golden Gloves at the 185 pound weight. And uh, that got the attention of a, a lot more of those people on the street. And so a lot of my friends were involved in the kind of things that my grandfather counseled me, don't do this, don't be with those people. And in order to get out and to get an education, the military was there, enter the military. After a, a number of years of training and experience in the jungles of Southeast Vietnam, uh, I survived with a number of scars, both emotionally and physically. And came home and was so detached from everything that was going on at home. I, I you know, they were cursing everybody in the uniform, and the, you know, we were no good. And certainly that wasn't true of everybody who wore the uniform. But I decided I was going to have a better life. And my life, at, at that point, I had my first child. My son Bob was born, and I determined that I was going to make a life for him and his, my my then wife and myself, and there was going to be a better future. It was going to be like I saw on television. Father knows best, you know. Carl, if I could stop you for one second, and because I, I, I mean, what you're you're laying out this tapestry of your life. I mean, there's definitely questions going as far back of growing up in Brooklyn, which I, I mean, there were movies about that. You know, the yeah. old uh, Bowery Boys, West Side yeah. Story, things like that. Yeah, and I can imagine how tough it it might have been, and. Then you know the growing up with with a father who was an alcoholic, and even the statement he made to you, you know, then you just kind of uh, reflected back is or mirrored it back that you know a box of macaroni is fifteen cents. You know, we don't realize just how much you know a cut one sentence said to us in our early life can affect us for the rest of it, and. What I what I do love as you started to, you know, uh, move on and, and as you got back from Vietnam, you made this decision. And I'm really curious of I would need a I want a better life for my wife, for my my, my child. Was there an event? What was that uh, epiphany that forced you to kind of take a stop, reflect and say, I want something better? Had this been building or was there some epiphany? Well, you know, I believe we all have a different drum inside of us. And I know that I've had a different drum all my life. I've been different than the people on the streets of Brooklyn, different than my family. I I easily uh, assimilated into environments that I wanted to become part of. So I changed how I looked, I changed how I talked and how I spoke. And uh, when I finally had this child, this baby in my hands, and I related to what am I going to make his life in the future? How am I going to let him know every day of his life that I love him? And that, and to me, discipline and growing and 
finding opportunities to get away from all of that. And at the same time, I will say that, you know, I joined a group called ACOA, Alcohol, Adult Alcoholics, Children of Alcoholics. And I spent many years in those rooms. And it's a 12-step program and you get involved just like Al-Anon and, and Alcoholics Anonymous. But this is for the children of the alcohol, not the alcoholic. And they were very, very difficult things to deal with that I would never share with anyone. I mean, some of the things I talked about in those rooms, I never spoke to my wife about. We never reveal, you know, being sitting there was the whole omerta thing that you stay silent anyway. But I just wouldn't reveal those things. Sure. And so uh, those rooms were very, very helpful for me. And the vets rooms also where people who experienced the same issues could come together and share their emotions and be honest about it. You know, I, I, I had the occasion, I sent this book out to a number of people before we went to publish on it. And one particular man who is probably one of the most decorated combat Marine officers in Vietnam talked to me afterwards. He said he read the book three times and cried every time he read it. Wow. Now, I know what that means. He got in touch with him and he revealed the emotions inside of himself that have been harbored in there for 50 years. And I'm so glad about that because that's happened to me over and over again with a lot of different people. If I find that this book can enrich one person, just one person, to look inside Heal an old an old wound and overcome it. Learn how that life is better. You keep going and life is better, and God will make a way for you. You know, I believe that. To my fiber, I believe it. You know, I I love that because I mean there are books, uh, autobiographies, or there's works of nonfiction. You know, a lot of coaching books and stories of you know for my world of of coaching conversations back and forth of, you know, what are our clients working on? What are they dealing with? But what I love about your book, again, it, the, it's, it is fiction, you know, for our listeners, but it's based on your stories. And, and I, we're going to get deeper into this, but I love that what you shared, if only one person can, you know, gain some insight from it and, and change their life as a result of reading some portion of it. I think that's wonderful because that's the best we can, you know, when we, when we leave this earth and we look back and we reflect, how did I do, you know, whose life did I make an impact on? It's, and it's not a matter of what did I achieve? Because we could easily do that, but who cares? Whose life did I have an impact on? That's so much more powerful. Exactly. You know, every penny of profit that comes from this book is going to charity. Anyway. Okay, I, I'm not looking for any accolades. I'm really looking to impact somebody. And, you know, you've said a number of times that it's a, it's a work of fiction and it follows very closely my life, but it's not really my life. It's the life of a generation of more people like me who live through all these things, ups and downs, who may have had the same experiences, maybe not exactly the same, but they've lived through these issues. Sure. They know what it's about. You know, I, I sometimes wonder in your generation and, and most definitely in mine. So I'm on the big, I, don't, I think I'm on the, the trailing edge of the baby boomer generation. It doesn't really matter. But I sometimes wonder 
how culture, you know, the, our parents, they grew, your parents grew up in, in Sicily. My parents, their parents were from Germany, Russia. And it seems like sometimes growing up, they just did to survive. Right. That's what they did. And when they had kids, it wasn't, you know, I want to want to have a better life for Johnny and Susie. They were just an extension of just survival. And so many of them growing up really were perhaps not prepared to be parents. They were children having children. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't want to give the impression that I'm speaking negatively about my father because I know my father is a hardworking, simple man. He just didn't have anything else to give. It's not like right. he withheld anything from me. He wasn't prepared for anything more than that. Right. He did the best he could. And, yeah. And, and you know something? I, 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 and I love that statement because I can look back at my own parents and it was exactly like that. Yeah exactly like that so as you you know as we circle back to your 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 last part of this journey you know you got married you had your boy you basically said as you know as you're holding him i need something better for him right so how how did uh how did the 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 work and the preparation the note-taking the journaling because i'm assuming you were always taking notes Every day I would make notes about experiences and feelings I had during the day because they opened up my prayer time. They opened up my ability to discuss in private groups what was angst inside of me that I couldn't share and get rid of and work out on my own. So those journals, and the reason so much of the book seems so poignant and real is because they were written usually the day it happened. I could not put that emotion into the experience of meeting the dead nurse's sister on the street today because I, I'm too far removed from it. But the day that it happened, all those emotions were so real to me. I could write them out there, you know, and uh, uh, they were very, very valuable to me. And I encourage anyone to journal because sure. it is such a wonderful tool. It's an important modality within the like the coaching profession with with our clients is you know either at the beginning of the day you know look at what you want to accomplish how did I or how did I do how do I feel or at the end of the day and I, I love that is when did the this idea of the book kind of raise into your consciousness like oh, you know I want to get I, I want to write the book or actually even before that. As I understand, you went back into like storage somewhere up in the attic. Talk about that. Well, it was in the garage. It was in my wife and I were sitting out on our patio as we do every morning, having our coffee, sharing our morning devotion, chatting about what we're going to do in the day. And then, and I wrote about it in the first part of the book. And she said, well, what are you going to do? What's your honey do list today? I said, I got to clean out the storage bins in the garage to make room for new IRS documents to save for the next seven years. So you got to rotate and get rid of the junk. And while I was doing that, I found this folder that rather than seven years had been coming with me for 20 years, place to place to place. And uh, I took it out and I started reading it, and remembered everything that was in it, because those parts of the writing had been over from 1996, really. And uh, I started reading a little bit to my wife says, what do you got there? And I started reading it. She says, that's really good stuff. Why don't you 
think about doing a book out of it. I said, look at the size of this. It'd be an Encyclopedia Britannica. Look how much material. <laughs> so she said, well, put it down, make something readable. And it took... Uh, Took about six months to prune it down and select which ones were in the in the in the uh, the regiment and the the theme of what I wanted to reveal, and then put it together and then worked with an editor. And my wife was very encouraging all the way. She's a tremendously creative, talented woman. She's the one who created the cover. You know, I have to share, Carl. You are my second guest in a row who is married to a very wise woman. I'm going to ask you why she is. She married me. <laughs> <laughs> she's a wonderful woman. Wonderful. I love it. And extremely talented. Extremely. Speaking of the cover, is that like Como? It looks like it, but no, it's not. The, the picture is, was created by my wife. It's actually a composite of me sitting on our patio with our Bougainvillea. In the distance, you will see that mountain that's actually Mount Vesuvius overlooking the Bay of Naples. And the reason she chose to do that was because Sorrento, Italy, is one of my favorite places in the world. <laughs> well, <it's okay. laughs> okay. I've heard Sorrento is very, uh, very beautiful. Actually, my grandparents, they lived on Sorrento in Detroit. So there's a connection there. I love it. So you started to gather up these, these notes and pieces of paper and you spent some time kind of organizing it. What were the thoughts going through your mind as you're beginning to, you know, read back really kind of your history and what did you decide to, to keep in, to leave out? How did that process work for you? It was a difficult test because I had to decide to be very vulnerable. I had to be transparent. I knew that if I was going to write this book, and make it available for others to see. I couldn't choose and pick the things that I wanted to make me look good or not to share the things that made me feel bad. It had to be honest. I had to show it all. And as I was reading through some of them and frankly, crying over rereading some of them, the, you know, the death of my father, with the, the death of the very dear friend of mine that I knew most of my adult life, remembering the death of John Kennedy and what was happening in me at the time and all of the emotion that I had raising the family and growing a business and failing at it and then growing another one, which anyone who tells you it's a straight line up is a lie. It's never is. There's always problems and you have to recycle and reinvent yourself a number of times. So there were a lot of things that I had to select to use that were difficult. And frankly, a few of them I had to sit and think about and pray about and read them again before I came to the time that I said, okay, I'm going to include it in there. I know that when my brother read the book and he read the part about our father dying, he was taken aback by it. He didn't think I would put that in there, but I did. He was very gracious about it. You know, there, there are things that you, you come across in life that if they move you greatly and you hope to move another person to to think and to react to their own emotion. You have to be willing to trust and be vulnerable. And that's what I did. I love it. I love it. And I mean, this uh, trust and be vulnerable. I mean, that is, that's such an important aspect of your individual growth and developing that confidence to keep going. So let's chat uh, more about the actual work inside the book. So as the book opens, tell us about the main character, the protagonist in the book. 
The protagonist in the book, of course, is largely built on me. And, but it, it does have included in it uh, aspects and characteristics of young people that I knew growing up in the streets of Brooklyn and other men that I met along the way as I got older in school and, of course, in the military and later on in life. It is a composite of people, but largely it's about me. All of the events that are in the book actually happen. There are no fictitious events there. They, I took a little poetic license in some of them to make them a little bit more readable for a novel, but they all occurred. The people in the book have, well, all of those that are alive have seen the book. They, I have identified them. They know what their involvement is in the book, and they're, they're very grateful for it, and they're all supportive. Unfortunately, most of them are no longer alive. They haven't survived. I guess that's life when you come to a point in life that I'm at now. Well, you don't get to where you're at today and, you know, nearly 80s without, you know, and as you rightly said, life is not a straight line. That's right. It's a very circuitous journey. That's right. Both professionally and personally. Now, in organizing the book, I, I can imagine, you know, the, the, the your, this protagonist is sitting down and perhaps just discovers for himself these papers. Are you weaving back and forth between the present and the past or you know how 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 are you covering this history and, and sharing what went on in the past yet still keeping the main character in the present and tapping into what he's feeling in the moment okay if you'll notice the main character progresses and ages throughout the whole book and in different aspects of the book he is reminded of the writing and he faces back to that time what are the some of the highlights in the book that really, I mean, again, so much history here, but what are some of the highlights that really stand out for this protagonist as he is essentially aging and working through the, what's going on in this book? Well, as far as business goes, of course, there's a progression of success. He becomes very successful. He's well-educated. He is a individual who... Uh, is quite good at business and very believable. So what happens is he builds large businesses. And the first business that I bought, that I built, that I took public, uh, started in a what was a sub shop front store. And a few couple of years later, it was named by Inc. Magazine as the 12th fastest growing independent business in the nation. And uh, it grew to a point where we went public. And then uh, two years later, we spun it off to and a similar company in the UK. And at one point, I was the CEO of a conglomerate, conglomerate of 27 companies in three, in three different continents. So, you know, you can imagine what that means, thousands and thousands of employees. Sure. And so I, I really had the, uh, the success that came along with it. Then I had some, some issues, physical issues. I, I say in the book that I had some spinal problems that were very debilitating and I had to eliminate or remove myself from all of that because I was in chronic pain and they were giving me all kinds of medication, oxycontin and things that were no good at all. Not at one point they I had they they gave me 27 neuroplasties into the spine and they would last for six to seven weeks at a time, supposed to last a year at a time. And at one point they installed a morphine pump that I could self-control. Well, you can imagine no life can sustain on that. You, you become a vegetable. 
You can't really function. I couldn't run a business. I sold everything we had in order to, to save some of the, the holdings for the family. At a certain point, after a year or two of that, uh, my then wife of 39 years decided she couldn't deal with being with an invalid any longer. And so there was a divorce. I don't really blame her. It wasn't her fault. She just couldn't deal with it. So that brought my life to a, a shattering closure for a period of time. And then uh, I was introduced to someone who helped me get my health back and get off all the drugs and so forth. And I became functional. And I, once I became functional, I realized that I had lost a number of years and I was still vibrant and had a contribution to make. So I went in and started another business and I met my current wife and we've been married now almost 15 years. We started a new life together and we built a new business. And then I went on the board of a fledgling company and helped it grow. After 21 years, it became an overnight success. It was what they call a unicorn. Oh boy. We started the business with $70,000 in a little room in California. And then uh, three years ago, we sold it to a large venture capitalist for $3.7 billion. Oh my. Now, that wasn't all mine, of course. Only minor amount was mine because they were shareholders. Sure. But we grew a major, major company. And I have some comfort in the fact that I contributed to that success. And again, thousands of people's opportunity to aspire and become wealthy in America. You know, first time I took my company public, I had 22 employees become many days. And that's remarkable, I think. Sure. Now, your so your character in, in the book then is going through this similar journey, the same ups and downs, yes. the health issues, the, the business success, the failure, the, the success again, the the changing of, uh, you know, losing the spouse and and meeting somebody new, somebody special. And so he's, he's going through the same type of journey then. Right. Absolutely. It's parallel to me. But I also sure. think it's parallel to a generation of people who probably went through very, very similar things. I know so many men who have gone through things like that, maybe slightly different in, their, in what they've acquired in their business acumen, but modestly successful as Americans and families fall apart and they have to rebuild it again and rebuild their life. Mm -hmm. And tenacity is that, you know, I think I, you sent me a, a survey saying, what are your, your slogans and your quotes that you like to live by? Winston Churchill told the British people during the, Brit, the Blitzkrieg, he had a five word, five word secret for success. And if they followed it, we would surely prevail over the Germans. And the secret was never, 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 never quit. I love it. And I believe that. I'm a tenacious person. I never quit. I love it. Well, I, I can actually see that is also can be equated to your background growing up in Brooklyn. Because as you said, if you showed any type of weakness, you were done for. That's right. You were dust. That's I right. love it. Now, what have been, and you, you have mentioned uh, earlier, one of the individuals who was a soldier had read the book, a very, very successful soldier, and had relayed back to the impact of the book on him. What are some of the other reflections that you have heard about from people who have been reading the book? I have heard from people who have never been in the military at all, and yet could find themselves in the book, not only in the, in the issues of their life experiences and raising families and overcoming and getting educated and working hard for success. But in some of the issues that the military men had to deal with, feelings of embarrassment and shame that were left on them. 
feelings of unworthiness that they here they had opportunities that maybe others didn't have and so many people that had those experiences and told me how beneficial it was to them to be able to confront those issues within themselves and accept the fact that they're okay. You know, it wasn't, they didn't intentionally do anything to harm another human being. They just took what life brought them. And I think that's an important lesson to learn. We all of us have windows that open up to us. Some of us take them, some of them don't. And if you take that window and you're granted a success at it, be thankful. Don't be, don't feel shy about it. Be thankful and use that opportunity to help someone else. I've had conversations with uh, a couple of men who are pastors who I thought might have difficulty with some of the language and the violence in the book. None, none at all. They absolutely understood what I was trying to say. They agreed with it. Uh, they, they encouraged other people in their congregation to read it. And I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. I've had, what, what, what's most astounding to me, I never thought women would have the response that they have. But to a one, every time they read it, they, they are complimentary to it. They talk about how they laugh, they laugh, they cry, how they connected with the individuals, both the men and the women in the book. There are a number of women in the book that they connected to. And, uh, there is a, a story in the book about a nurse who, uh, who died very soon after arriving in Vietnam. And I never knew whether she was really killed or not until years later when I was walking in a St. Patrick's Day parade in New York and I thought I saw her on Fifth Avenue. And it turns out it wasn't her, but it was a sister who looked exactly like her. Oh, wow. And the feeling of, you know, come, confronting this woman in the street who you, you thought was dead and then you find out it's not her. And yes, she did die. And the emotions were enormous, you know. And... Uh, Women who read that story, 201, have said to me they were just so touched by it, you know, and they didn't think men had that sensitivity. I don't know why. Men have sensitivity just like women. Well, I, you know, we're, we're, it's how we're raised sometimes of, you know, men don't cry, but, you know, yeah. and that doesn't mean we can't. It just means we refuse to show. Right. And, 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 I, and I love the fact that. You know the the women who have commented on the book are reflecting uh, on some of the the passages that they read because yeah. just like your journey, they had their similar journey. You know, That's and it. and I have to share too is as I was learning more about you and the work and and, and in the book, and I'm thinking, yeah, it was going through my head. So there's a dialogue, by the way, Carl, going on in my head as you and I are talking. <laughs> and I'm thinking about my life growing up, my dad, my mom, and, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what could be better, how I ended up here in Las Vegas. I mean, how, whatever. But it's just like, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing to to kind of sit back and write about and just think uh, what what was our journey? You know, what what are some of the lessons that we've learned? What can we then again give back to others and and make their lives a, a better place? As you were working on the book, was this um, pretty much self published? Did you work with a publisher? How was that? part of the equation, the administrative side of producing this book? Okay. Frankly, I didn't know anything about publishing a book. My grandson has published uh, four or five books, but they're through Academia Press, and they're none of them books of this kind. They're really 
you know, histories of Florida and things of that kind. So he put me together with an editor who helped me work on the, the structure of the book somewhat and finesse it. And then I said, well, I'd like to go about getting it published. And she said, well, you'll distribute, you'll submit it to, with queries to a bunch of publishers. And hopefully, maybe next year, somebody will pick it up. And I'm thinking to myself, next year, at my age, I may not be around next year. <laughs> so I said, well, what, what can I do? I'm not going to wait that long, honey. <laughs> yeah, so I said, what can I do to short circuit that? So she says, well, you, there are a number of companies that will work with you and co-publish it with you. Some of them, you do the publishing and take all the expense. Some of them will work with you in the, the creation and the distribution and bear some of the cost of it if you pay the publishing expense. I said, that's fine with me. I don't care. So I did that, and it took uh, it took about seven or eight months to get it done. And then April the 6th of this year, we published. And uh, it's, uh, I, I, I did uh, hire Lori and her team to work with me and support some of the marketing effort to it. And the responses have been quite good, I have to say. And it's won a number of awards. And I'm very, very pleased. I, I don't know if it would have made any difference if it was published and distributed by a formal house or not. I'm not experienced enough to say about that. But uh, sure. But I know I'm starting to structure a new book. And the next time around, I may submit it. Who knows? <laughs> hey, what the heck? You got you got plenty of time. Yeah. Plenty of time. <laughs> so I'm curious, Carol, as you look back on this journey of writing this book and, and really again you you we've tapped into your life you know through these notes as you look back is there anything new that you're that you would like to share with your your younger self the the newness is not something brand new because i came to it a few years ago okay. that is forgive yourself we've all made mistakes in life forgive yourself there was a there was a weekend that I went on some 15, 14, 15 years ago. It was called Choices. And then that weekend, you're with a group of people who embody some of the issues in your life, and you have an opportunity to make a choice whether to reach into the inner child and nurture that child yourself and help it to heal, or to keep, continue feeling the pain of not being nurtured. And that helped me greatly overcome some of the issues with my father and some other people. And uh, you got to forgive yourself. And once you forgive yourself, you can forgive others and life becomes new. I love it. Now, is this organization still around, Choices? I don't know. I haven't been in contact with them in 14 or 15 years, but I hope so. I hope so. Because it was a wonderful experience. We'll have to check on that. And because uh, I think, you know, the this message that you just shared, it's very similar, similar to a message we did uh, a podcast episode a, a couple months back for the life of me. It's still early in the morning, so I'm not going to remember this, but his name, but I, I can, I can picture who he is, but this idea is that we, you know, sometimes we have to, as a child, learn that we've got to, we've got to, you know, you know, for, forgive. We make mistakes, and we we move, we learn to move on. We don't should not necessarily dwell on it. Uh, when you're not, you know, busy thinking about writing this next book, now you mentioned earlier you and your wife like to sit outside, enjoy the the outdoors with a cup of coffee. By the way, I totally get that because 
I get up every morning with my cup of coffee, watch the sunrise because I face east, and then I go back to bed. But because uh, I got to see the sunrise, I need that. You're welcome in the morning. That's great. <laughs> I, I love it. And so what's up next for you? Or, or what are you liking to do when you're not thinking about writing this book? I mean, what, what do you and your wife like to enjoy doing? Well, we we uh, my wife is a videographer and a uh, a, a designer, a creative designer, an artist, multi multimedia artist. She's nationally acclaimed. She's won a number of awards, and she's excellent. She's a great writer and a poet. And so we've begun to uh, structure out uh, probably a blog type thing where we would create a theme and we would videotape it in conversation. And she would have some creative backdrop going to it. And each each uh, week, we would have a theme on a particular subject and invite people to come in once or twice during the week and uh, do that kind of a, a blog and uh, have it be uh, instrumental, hopefully, in, uh, in support issues. That's like one. It. The second thing is uh, we have a charitable trust that we founded when we took the last company public, and we're very active, involved in uh, developing uh, resources for emergencies and events around the world. So we've just put together a group for, uh, for Haiti, and uh, we, we, uh, we are involved in a group for a number of soup kitchens here in Florida that don't get any financial support from the government. And so we're putting groups of people together to make that continue. Can you imagine there's a soup kitchen in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, run by a priest, they feed 500 people breakfast and 500 people dinner every day. Nobody supports them. The local community contributes food. And the police come to arrest him because of the COVID situation. And we're constantly bailing him out of jail because he won't close the kitchen. Oh, my. Oh, my. What a hero. Yes. And <laughs> what a hero. Definitely that. Now, Carl, if the the... These organizations, the nonprofit, the soup kitchen, if there is websites or anything of the sort, you know, I, I want you to let me know that so we can put that information into the show notes as well. Okay. Sure. Sure. Fantastic. And so I have a question. If our listeners would like uh, to learn more about you and your work, is the, does the book have a have its own website? Yes. It's called to everypageattorney.com. Excellent. Well, we will definitely provide a, a backlink uh, to the website. Now, I, I imagine you're you're a pretty savvy guy, so I know you're on social media. How, are you on what, what channels are you on? Well, on Facebook, I have a personal page and I have an office page as well. Okay. And the office page has a tremendous amount of detail, and I include in there other issues that I submit after discussion with other people. And we're on Instagram, of course. Okay, fantastic. Well, we will definitely provide links back to the uh, the sites in our show notes. Carl, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the author series on the Success Inside podcast. Thank you, Howard. You are a joy to talk to. I appreciate you. Fantastic. Okay, folks, we have just been chatting with Carl Uccellato. He is the author of To Every Page of Turning, One Life's Journey. Now, Again, while this is a fictitious book, it leans very heavily on Carl's personal experiences of 50 plus years of journaling and note taking 
and really this this kind of a wonderful book. And I again, as I am uh, chatting with Carl, there's a dialogue going in the back of my head, and I'm thinking about my own life. But that I think I need to go to my uh, therapist for that. But in any case. I do want you to check out this book and, you know, just a lot of great stories. And, you know, as Carl had shared early on, if he can, you know, provide some insight, you know, through a passage, help you make a difference in your own life or, or life with your friends, your family, you know, that that's what counts. It, it's not about what can I get out of, uh, of it, but what can impact can this have on other people? Now, to every page attorney has also uh, been getting a lot of acknowledgments. They are the winner of the 2021 Purple Dragonfly Book Awards for historical nonfiction. They've been recommended by the U.S. Review of Books, the Midwest Book Review, and is also a reader's favorite five-star review. So do check them out. We'll provide the backlinks to the book on Amazon, we'll also again provide backlinks uh, to the website to everypageattorney.com, as well as links to Carl's book page on Facebook and on Instagram. If you enjoyed uh, today's episode on the author series on the Success Insight Podcast, do let us know. You can find us on successinsightpodcast.com. Uh, uh, the pages are on LinkedIn and on uh, Facebook as well as the website. Uh, you can find us on the major podcasting platforms, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all of the podcast players, uh, Pandora, iHeartRadio, but especially Spotify, where we have our author series playlist. And uh, this, so you can take this episode or any other episode and download it and just Listen to it on the golf course while you're doing your walk, your run, or maybe like Carl or myself, while you're enjoying your morning coffee, looking at the sunrise. It's a great way to start your day. Folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day, and we will see you on a future episode of the author series and more episodes on the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.